The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. Many years ago, there was a former American professor living in my apartment building in Perth. His name was Charles Slack, and when he was a young professor, his mentor during his time at Harvard University was legendary psychologist Timothy Leary, the scientist who became a counterculture celebrity and evangelist for the mind-expanding potential of hallucinogenic drugs in the 60s. Now, Charles ended up in Perth, where I am, as a religious minister, and his stories and his observations about what they originally set up to do were absolutely fascinating. And I'm, I'm bringing that up for two reasons. Firstly, because there is a resurgence of scientific research on psychedelic drugs, looking to unlock all the benefits uh, that Timothy and the crew were looking into without the tripping. In fact, Australia has become the first country to legalise their use under very strict guidelines for the treatment of PTSD, and that comes into effect this month, July. And secondly, because the company that we're diving into today is keenly focused on what are looked upon as alternative medicines, THC, CBD, MDMA and psilocybin, alongside compounds that really one day were also considered a bit out there, probiotics and health supplements, and which have now been proven to have benefits and are used by millions of us every day around the world. So it'll be interesting to see what is going to be happening in this emerging market. The psychedelic market alone, when you have a look at the, the growth stats on it, is expected to hit approximately $12 billion in 2029. And uh, growing like a weed is medicinal cannabis. I, look, I went through so many different uh, reports to try and get you a correct stat on this. The numbers vary. However, around US $168.58 billion seemed a conservative estimate by 2029. Let's get into this. I'm Christina Morrissey, and today on Stock Insiders, I'm going to ask you to open your mind, tune in, drop out for a while, focus, as we look at the investment potential from an emerging market getting a lot of attention, medicinal cannabis and the promising potential of psychedelic medicine products. Our investment opportunity for you today has both and not just here in Australia. So let me introduce you to the co-chair of ASX listed Bioxone with toes and fingers, whole bodies in strategically placed markets around the world. Sam Watson, hello. Hi, Chrissy. How are you? I am very well. And it's a bit of a long-winded uh, introduction to you, this next, but I was trying to figure out how to correctly explain um, explain yourselves to, to our listeners because I think to understand Bioxone and its mission and potential, we really need to understand the years of hard work behind the the recent significant changes to this publicly listed company because it's the result of years of hard work and a recent it's not really an acquisition i think when you look at it really it's more of a merger of two companies with different but complementary biotech strengths and if we were talking at the beginning of this year i would be introducing you as the ceo and co-founder of private company breathe live Science, which was considered a very vibrant new player in this sector, but now you are a co-CEO of a publicly listed company with arms of business across the globe. Tell us about Breathe Life Science first, because that is the side of the equation that you're responsible for bringing in. Yeah, precisely, and uh, you're right. It's um, it's more of a merger with Bi- Bioxin, which we completed about a month ago. It took us almost eight months to to get it across the line. Um, so if, if we take a step back and look at the Breathe Life Sciences business, um, it was founded 
in 2018. Uh, had roots in Germany and the UK. That's where the initial um, idea came to life. And we were very much focused on health and wellness, recreational, primarily CBD and other cannabinoids, non-medicinal, five years ago. And then since that point in time, the business has obviously grown tremendously. Um, we opened up in new markets, you know, launched in the UK, Europe, moved to Japan. And then in 2019, we started looking at the Australian market um, and made our first sort of inroads into, into launching the pharmaceutical side of the business. So I guess the business overall is, is divided into two categories. It's kind of like, well, we're copying the, sort of the GlaxoSmithKline model in a way, which is you've got the pharmaceutical side of the business and the um, alternative supplements, uh, consumer health product side of the business. Now, I mentioned at the start the growth potential of the medicinal cannabis industry globally. What's the current size of the medicinal cannabis market? I mean, I know you're not, you are particularly not keen to be labelled as a pot stock. No, no, that's, that's right. I mean, life sciences in the name is much more broad, broad brush than uh, just cannabis. And um, as we're going to dive into today, I'm sure we, uh, we're not focused only on medicinal cannabis and CBD, but mushrooms and MDMA, psilocybin, alternative therapeutics. Um, but in, in terms of the size of the medicinal cannabis market globally, uh, I'd say it's around 80 million US dollars from, from what I've read. It's growing at a rate of probably 20% a year. Yeah, that's the thing that really uh, that really did amaze me was the way the, the annual average rate of revenue growth is, is massive, isn't it? No, it's, it's tremendous. And I think, I mean, if you look at Australia in isolation, you just look at the number of doctors over the last five or six years that are actually applying to be special access approved um, or, or registered to prescribe cannabis. And it's gone from something like 100 doctors uh, in 2017 or 2018 to I think it's over 120,000 today. Yeah, it's massive. So um, talk, tell us about bioxine then. What's what, what, what was this traditionally known as? What or for? Bioxin's been around for I think 20 odd years. It's been it's been publicly listed, publicly traded for a long period of time. Um, the existing business, which has been in place for the last 15 or so years, is focused on probiotics, health foods, and supplements. They have a good presence in Southeast Asia and in the US as well. And those are two markets where we haven't had a very you know, strong presence or foothold. Um, so naturally, that's, you know, there's some revenue synergies there across their product pipeline, their product line, ours and those two markets. Yeah, so why did you, because we can hear the English accent, obviously, why did you marry an Australian-listed company? I'd say get into bed, but you're a little more, bit more serious about this relationship, aren't you? Yeah, well, we met on Tinder back in 22. <laughs> no, so we, um, I was actually introduced to the company or to one of the board members, Tony Ho, who's our uh, executive chairman. Um, and so one of my mentors made the introduction. You know, he'd been following the business. Um, he's a shareholder in the business. And he said, look, want to, want to run it past you, have a look at it, you know, good opportunity. I thought at the time, you know, maybe it would be another year or two before we considered going public. It has been, you know, something that seems like a natural, you know, progression for the company. Um, and then we had the conversation, got on really well with the guys, dove into the business, what they were doing. You know, we, we both saw that there were obvious synergies in coming together I think we were about three times the size of Bioxin at the time. 
the business had about four million four million dollars of cash in it. So, I mean, for a company our size to have access to that sort of capital can really accelerate our growth potential. Exactly that too, and the Australian markets are fantastic. Yeah, and they were publicly listed, and you weren't. So right, so the clothes came off, and you're you're married now, and all sorts of things are on the way. How is it benefiting shareholders and consumers? Look, I think it's one of those situations where one plus one equals three. The bioxin business had been ticking along over the last you know ten or so years, growing slowly. Our business has sort of over the last four years we've grown over three thousand um, percent. You know, I think together with the public company in the public markets, with the pharmaceutical business um, in Australia, I, I think the plan is to maintain that trajectory. And I think having, you know, being merged and being a part of a public company is um, going to make that a lot more likely for us. Now, who's, who's the team behind bringing about your vision? A very international team at that. So we've got about 20-odd people in the UK and Europe, um, uh, seven or eight in Australia, six in Japan. Um, two of those actually, two, two of those European people are in Czech Republic. So, and then we have manufacturing facilities and distribution centers in the UK, Europe, Japan, and obviously Australia. Now you're the, you're the finance um, brains behind it, but you've also got a, a, a medical expert as well, haven't you, Ian Owes? Yeah, so Ian, Ian is uh, one of the co-founders. He's a third-generation pharmacist. Um, He's obviously been instrumental in setting up the Australian business. He's our uh, licensed individual within the business. So, you know, getting our import permits, um, licenses, setting up the GMP manufacturing side of the operations in Australia. Yeah, I think people may know his name if they've been following this sort of this part of this potential um, side of investing for Vitura Health. Yeah, so Ian used to be one of the um, compounding pharmacies for. Cannabis Doctors Australia. This was prior to them um, merging with Kronos Australia, which is now called Vitura. And I think they are one of the biggest in the market. Yeah, so he's got a lot of experience. I think they've got a $300 million market cap. How about Jason Hine? Jason, old mate Jason. He's um, So Jason's got a wealth of experience. I think all the senior team, and bear in mind I'm obviously probably one of the youngest guys on the team, I've been lucky enough to be able to surround myself with incredibly smart and driven people who have you know, a combined probably century of experience in the cannabis industry. Jason's one of those people. Um, he used to work at uh, ECS Botanics, uh, one of the largest cultivators in Australia. And he joined us about eight months ago now, I think. And Jason Stevens has got similar experience, hasn't he? He does indeed. Never met a man who works quite as hard or fast. He certainly drives me to uh, get stuff done. Yeah, and Guy Robertson? Guy, similar thing. So Guy was... Um, Guy's been the CFO of Bioxin for a long time. Now, tell us how old he actually is. Tell, tell everyone how old this fellow is. Oh, I, I don't think it would be fair to Guy to give away. He, he looks like he's about 48, but I, I think Guy's in his early 70s. But uh, last time I come down to Australia every couple of months, and last time I was there, we, uh, we actually went surfing in Manly together. And I gave him the small board. Yeah, he is an amazing human being, that one. I believe he's still running triathlons as well. So he knows his medicine, he knows the business, and he knows how to get the most out of life. And then you've got your co-founders um, over in the UK, EU and Japan as well. So you're obviously not all on the same continent, though. So why are you all spread all over the place? What's the benefit of that? Well, I think to have success in the markets we're in, we need obviously people on the ground 
in those markets. So for example, the Japanese team, I don't think we'd have the same sort of business in Japan that we do. And bear in mind, it's still young and, and growing, but without the local team, knowledge, expertise, you need people on the ground, particularly when it comes to sales, management, you know, manufacturing. So I think what we've, what we've set up is we've built the framework to massively scale the business internationally. We've got, you know, small, lean, but, you know, highly scalable operations in each of those markets and highly dedicated people driving those those local markets forward. Now, what did you make your first year after launch? When, when, the, when the business was just in the UK, we did about 200,000, 300,000. And now? Uh, so this year, I think we, we did an announcement last month of around 7.3 million for the year. I think it's going to be a little bit higher than that, closer to eight. You're the finance bloke, but I'd run that at about a 3,000% increase over a five-year period. You must have a calculator in front of you. <laughs> you must be pretty happy as a finance dude. What's your new market cap? So we, we closed the deal, the merger, at 54 million. So we're trading a bit of a discount to that at the moment. Enough about the finance and the team. I mean, we always say the team is really important, and I want to impress that upon our listeners as well. Always look at the team, look at the experience they've got. Um, let's look at what you're creating. What are the new compounds you've got, and, and what are the benefits? So in Australia, we have some really amazing formulations going out. One of my favorite things that we're doing, this is actually coined up by Ian and one of our, um, one of our doctor partners. Uh, it's a THC suppository. So putting a, a massive dose of THC, 300 milligrams, up people's bums. I can just see people driving along in their cars at the moment and they've all just pulled in unusual face. What's the benefit of this? So you've got a suppository, it's got the THC in it, we've placed it up the rectum if the doctor was here. What does that do? Is it cancer patients that you're targeting? Yeah, so we launched a few months ago and it's primarily for patients with prostate cancer or other cancers around that area and um it's showing i mean it's a huge dose of thc chrissy it's a normal well a normal dose to get the average person you know stoned is probably around 20 milligrams so 300 milligrams 15 times you know a decent dose um it, it's a lot but it's, it's absorbed differently straight into the blood supply um and what we're testing there is obviously look the analgesic and the effects on relieving people's, you know, pain symptoms, but also potentially, you know, the, the potential for THC to regress the size of these tumours. There is so I was looking last night uh, at all the different um, clinical trials and the number of them are exploding too. So there's so many different applications to to see if any of the, you know, these drugs can be helpful in improving people's quality of lives and so many different ways for them to access the products as well. I was interested that one of the really big growing markets, in particular for um, medicinal cannabis, was in the over 50s in the arthritis um, area. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense as an analgesic, THC and CBD um, have a lot of therapeutic value. How do people actually take take it in? You mentioned the suppository. What are some of the other ways that people are accessing the, these oils? I think that, yeah, the suppositories are one of the least common forms However, for specific indications, probably is going to be quite popular over time. I think so. The most common in Australia at the moment is uh, inhalable flower, so vaping, smoking, um, and then following that will be oils, capsules, so mucosal oils, sub sublingual mucosal oils, capsules. Um, but in, in terms of dose forms, is you know 
hundreds. In Australia, we're we're limiting the dose forms that we're working with to, you know, maybe less than 10. But overseas, you know, we're doing from vapes to gummies to topicals. We have a sexual health product, CBD lubricant, which is apparently quite stimulating. I haven't actually tried it yet. Good grief. It's mind boggles. It's like, what? there was an. I was reading somewhere about your your deal with Amazon as well because that's pretty huge. It's all these different ways of actually accessing the product. How does the Amazon deal work? Well, yes, yeah, so that's it's actually it's taken off. Um, so Amazon in the UK, and it's one of the few markets where Amazon actually allows CBD. Um, it took us the better part of six to seven months negotiating with Amazon to try and finalise this, but. Back in March, they actually approved us as a as a, a vendor. So they buy some of our brands, actually four of our brands, um, not just CBD, but so they're purchasing those from us and selling them to to consumers on the platform. Um, and there's only a handful of brands approved to do that. Yeah, obviously, you've got the positive reaction from consumers. Um, you, you had to move a little more quickly to meet demand. You you have or the the original BLS was a company that was never going to, to burn through cash. How about now? What do you need to spend? You mentioned that uh, $4 million in the bank was was going to perhaps you know help you to do some different trials and things. What, what, what are you aiming to do with it? Well, look, I mean, the great thing about having that cash is we can invest it in places we know it's going to see a return, which is you know working capital, sales, salespeople, growth. Um, one, of, one of the biggest investments we're making right now is in THC flour for the Australian market, which we just had 50 kilos land from Europe. Um, we have some of the best priced raw materials in the market, and it's pretty much already sold out. All of it. It's, it's one of those things where it's <laughs> we can't quite get enough, so we're constantly having to scale up, and that's you know it requires a bit of work and capital to get there. And what's the opportunities? I think some of the really interesting things in this field too is you've got all these trials and tests to run. And how is AI helping you in your business? Because you're one of the businesses which is adopting this sort of tech quite aggressively, aren't you? Yeah, and it's it's kind of happened organically. I mean, I'm not sure if you've used OpenAI or ChatGPT, but I think more than half of our team are using it daily for various different tasks. And I've noticed the productivity has gone up hugely. Um, and that's just day-to-day you know, office-related work. But I think if you, if you were to apply artificial intelligence and machine learning to the medicinal field, the pharmaceutical field, I think there's huge potential to improve the way we develop new drugs, research, um, you know, diagnose, prevent. There's a huge amount of data out there, and it takes a machine a small fraction of the time it would take. Let's look really briefly at a couple of the um, solutions, the challenges that people have that you're looking to find solutions for with your biotech. There are so many we could go through. Can can I start with um, MDMA? Of course. So Ecstasy, I suppose, to the, the general public. <laughs> Ecstasy is, yeah, exactly how it's been called since, um, well, before the war on drugs, but definitely during it. So it's, it's kind of crazy that for the last 40, 50 years, MDMA, psilocybin, a handful of other drugs have both been Schedule 9 in Australia, Schedule 1 in the US, which is essentially no therapeutic value, high risk. From the data that I've seen, I think it's reasonably well known, the risk of these drugs, safety, the safety profile is better than that of alcohol. And the efficacy 
well, look, we were in an amazing situation where the general public and clinical studies over the last 10 years are starting to show phenomenal efficacy for treating things like post-traumatic stress disorder and treatment-resistant depression. That the market wants this. Patients want this. They want alternatives because the current, the current things aren't working. Serotonin reuptake inhibitors is putting a Band-Aid over the wound. It's not healing it, whereas a single dose of psilocybin shows efficacy six months after in 80% of patients with treatment-resistant depression. No, it's really interesting. How about the mushrooms? How are they they helping people? Well, exactly. Like I just said, just particularly treatment-resistant depression. I mean, and this is uh, the, the TJ have taken an amazing stance on this. Um, and basically the first country, Australia is the first country to recognize MDMA and psilocin as medicines with, you know, therapeutic value, which is incredibly progressive. So we're, we're there. We're going to take advantage of, of this opportunity to, you know, get access, improve access for, for patients. Sounds good. Now, we are in the podcast for you here talking at the moment. There's a fellow um, for listeners called Joe Rogan, uh, who's one of the biggest podcasters in the world. He did an in-depth podcast on the benefits of mushrooms last year, and the interest went absolutely through the roof. If anyone wants to look that one up, and you've got one that you're pretty keen on as well, don't you? Yeah, uh, I'd follow Roland Griffiths and Johns Hopkins psychedelics it's interesting because there's it's, it's the sort of um emerging industry where there are huge risks involved in it for companies that are going after this space the difficulties of the clinical trials are going to have to they have to do to prove that it's a benefit but it, i think it'll be interesting to see the benefits to the consumers and potential investors as well yeah completely well i look in terms of clinical trials the great thing about what we're doing in australia we don't we can actually start having psychiatrists prescribe this to patients and dispensing it through our pharmacy immediately well following july 1st so next month we could actually start dispensing these these medicines sam thanks so much for your time today it's a topic we could talk about longer but we can um get everyone else to do their own research and and see where they where or if they want to be involved chrissy really appreciate it thank you for taking the time it is an interesting story lots of investors jumping on it early you'll see actually a lot of volatility in the sector the global health and wellness market size uh, valued at 4.7 trillion uh, just a couple of years ago 2021 it's projected to reach 12.9 trillion by 2031 and as sam indicated the this new combined group i suppose the, the new supercharged box and is uh, got fingers in in all of those pies there and the cagr of that is growing at 10.9 percent massive bioxin has jumped in early to a number of spaces could BXN be your alternative medicine to good share portfolio health? As I said, remember, do your own research. I'm Christina Morrissey, and we'll talk soon.